Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in ordered sequence Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this week's episode, we talk with Aubrey Jane Scott, game developer and designer for Monster Games, about code and design workflows. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Welcome, Aubrey. <laughs> so before we get started though you're a listener yes you know the whole deal with this program the whole deal i listen pretty much regularly nice, nice. pretty much regularly. <laughs> so we got a little work to do <laughs> we're so glad to finally have you on the show yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i only know you all like audioly i, I met mark <laughs> at gc and i met steven on um the glitch tours to monster game yeah but this is the first time I've met Martha, so it's great to know you all in person. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, you're a regular on the uh, MSP Game Dev Slack, and so we've all talked and had conversations, and we've talked about having you on the show for a long time, and I think that surprised you. <laughs> yeah, I mostly just didn't want to push it. Like, this is your show, so you can just figure out when the right time is. And we finally got around to it. Yes. Well, no, we're re- I'm, I'm really excited to have you on, to be honest, because... I think that like talking about workflows is really interesting now that I've gotten this new job and stuff. It's like a different experience. Uh, and so I want to hear more about how other people deal with that. And you talk about it a lot on, on Twitter and things, right? Yeah, I try at least on Twitter to kind of show some of the process of working at like monster games or at a um, big game development company because like you don't get to see a lot of that in the education uh, section. Like when I was in grad school, I didn't really get a window into exactly what it was like to be a developer. And it was kind of very different when I first got into games. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's important. I think that's something that like uh, a lot of people don't experience, as you said. So what, what is your workflow, ideal workflow, I guess? Uh, so it's different <laughs> for design and for code. Sure. Um, and so at work, um, it tends to be kind of like understanding mm. the intent of the design. Okay. Um, like first and foremost, like having an in-depth conversation of like what the designer is actually trying to get out of it. Yeah. Or if I am the designer, like what I want out of it. Um, and like understanding um, all of that before I jump into... Um, figuring out all the questions that the system needs to be able to answer. Okay. And so um, I, I really like to think of it as um, questions that anybody who is consuming the the system is. Um, I like to think of it as um, the questions that you would ask if the the system was a person. Sure. And yeah. like is going to answer those questions or, or like return some data. Um, not always does it get like when you're making systems, sometimes you just make it because it's convenient rather than making it so that it's the easiest to possibly use. Yeah. Um, so I like to do that step and then I run the interface by the designer and kind of see if it meets all their needs and if it, um, if they have anything to add to it after that pass, um, I kind of do a general like hooking up of the interface. Uh-huh. And so hooking up the interface usually looks like uh, this is just a, a public uh, contract of what I'm going to deliver to people. Yeah. And then after that's done, 
it's kind of uh, put into like a parallel development because the designer can do their stuff because they have the the interface and I can do my stuff and then we're kind of all just coding to the same place. Cool. Um, and then I just work on the actual the actual coding. So you, you do a lot of planning ahead of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and then you get to actually making it. Yes, that, I I actually pushed against that a lot. Yeah. But that that is the process now. <laughs> well, you talked about having being able to work in tandem with the designer with the the public element of the interface you're designing. And I think as a solo developer, I I feel very familiar with that process, but I'm both those people. Mm -hmm. And so I could go back and forth, but I still try to design systems as if it was, if if I was doing it in tandem, kind of like, I feel like it's the best practice. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my time with it a little bit because it is just for me. And so I I tend to over-design my systems, but it's nice to know that if I was in a a different environment, I might be find myself at home. (laughs) Like just the way you describe it sounds good. Like it sounds, sounds uh, intuitive. Yeah, I mean it's a lot more um it's a lot more working with other people sort of way. Like yeah. uh when I do stuff at home, I don't um do that as much and mm-hmm. sometimes I find that it is not as convenient if I didn't plan the system out ahead of time. Yeah. Right? Um which is the part that I really do like about doing it that way is is just um that you've put the forethought in to where it might actually go mm-hmm. and you aren't wasting all the time on where you think it might be, but not really. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Figuring out what you want to do ahead of time is, I think it's helpful. But I, I fall into the trap where uh, I'll spend too much time doing that and then I'll just get into my head and then I won't get anything done. Um, and that's that feels terrible too. Yeah, that I pushed. that's why I pushed against it mm-hmm. so much because I'm very much a person who can easily get stuck on the, the details and yeah. like, not be able to get through to the point where I can actually start coding. Right. My boss would constantly ask us the question and me specifically, like, is it like clear in your head before you start coding? Yeah. And at first it just got me like really nervous. Like I was supposed <laughs> to answer like, yes, but uh, I didn't really know the answer to that question. But it, after a while I got used to the feeling of what it feels like to really know what I'm coding. And then, it's just a matter of typing at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that helps me a lot too. I notice that um like each day uh before at the end of the day I try to like write down what I'm going to do the next day. Um so then when I get there I don't have to spend 10 15 minutes going what what was I doing last time? Uh uh it it just it, it makes things faster. So like yeah, just spending a little bit of time planning it um I think it's helpful. I think it's beneficial, mm-hmm. but just not too much. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. You're uh, saying that like having a vision of what you want to code before you're doing it reminds me of when they say like envision where you want the ball to go when you throw it, mm-hmm. yes. like sports and stuff like yeah. that, or like yeah. envision where you want. Yeah, you basically want to have a plan um, that you're trying to execute because otherwise everything is just a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> which I figured out and I'm, so I, I play roller derby and I figured out that having a plan before you actually try and do the action is super important to figuring out your success. Yeah. Otherwise you don't really know why you're failing. You're just failing. Oh man, that sounds like fighting games. That's gonna, exactly what you do in fighting games. <laughs> Cause otherwise you get caught just pressing buttons. 
and then you get punished. That's wonderful. <laughs> Which is exactly why I struggle with fighting games because I didn't know any of the meta that went into them. Ah, yeah. <laughs> well, now I feel like we did bad research going into this episode. And why isn't we just talking about roller derby? <laughs> Well, to be to be fair, I actually did just retire from my rookie season because it was too much of a commitment. Uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't put all the time into it that yeah. um, was required to run the league because the whole league is run by the players, and oh, so sure. there's oh, wow. a whole lot of like requirements to being on the league. They are like organizing to get a rec league together, and maybe I'll join back for that. But I, right now, I'm just. Enjoying having my free time back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back then to do a roller derby. Yeah, <laughs> do you have a roller derby persona or name or whatever? Yeah, um, my name is Glitch, please. That's awesome. <laughs> so I go by Glitch for short. But nice. <laughs> so, Martha, you're talking about like seeing where you throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think that the one thing I bump up against with when you're describing that process is the it's then it's just typing. Because I'm, I'm very much a learn by doing person, mm. and so I tend to I tend to refactor my systems a lot, and but it's always with an eye toward that original design where the ball was going. But I'm I'm much more comfortable with coding out a prototype version that works, with the understanding that it will evolve and change, and that might be a pro, a, a function of not having to deal with enough with other dependencies, meaning other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, whereas Steven, you can go off into a corner and think about it forever yeah. before you get it down. I'm yeah. exactly the opposite of that. But I still feel that we have the same attitude about knowing what, what the point of it is mm-hmm. before, before really getting in. It, and so that's the difference between uh, ideology and process, I think. And so it, it, I think it helps that probably for team co- cohesion to have a process that is shared and but i wonder how much of that is just many things work in, in, in a sense does that make sense yeah i mean i think that there's a lot of different um things that work well mm-hmm. um and each team kind of has to decide what that is going to be for them yeah. um and as long as the whole team kind of decides together or um agrees that this is the process that they're going to use then it doesn't really matter which process you use. Right. Like if you're working sort of not ideally efficiently, as long as you're all working the same way, uh. you're working much better than if everyone has their own perfectly ideal system. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's something I was going to ask too, is that like you were saying, uh, you butt up against, uh, Rich is your boss, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and like how, how, uh, your two, uh, workflows work. And I was wondering, I wanted to know, like, how do you deal with that? What's the best way to deal with like two, uh, conflicting, workflows well rich is the boss so, right. so, <laughs> so conflict resolved <laughs> yeah and, i mean so um one of the unique things about um where i particularly work uh-huh. is that um the owner rich uh used to um he used to go in to consult for companies with, that were like not going to meet their deadline on games mm, okay and so they would come he would come in and and like uh, see what they were doing wrong and see if th- that he could get them on the path to fix it. And he did this for like, like 30 or 40 companies oh, or wow. like did it for a really long time. And so he kind of picked up the skill set of like recognizing when things are going wrong really early mm-hmm. and like wanting to correct that as quickly as possible to like have the most stable and successful sure. um, environment that he could for, uh, his team members because he really cares about um, the people that he employs. So. Yeah, nice. Okay, that that makes sense. That makes sense that he's 
he's so stringent about making sure that you have a plan ahead of time. Yeah, because he wants to be as efficient as possible, basically. Well, you also um, touched on not just about the product, but about the people working on it. Like th- those are equal concerns, right? Uh, you know, wanting to make sure that uh, people are working correctly, not like not stressed, not yeah, you know, like exactly. fixing those problems ahead of time, not just for the sake of the product, but for the people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, a while ago, that was not the case necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, after uh, doing a lot of long hours, um, they eventually got to the place where it's like, hey, everybody here has families and everybody like has lives outside of uh, work and maybe we should make that a lot more stable and make it right. like easy for people to just go to work and do their thing and then go home and do their thing there. A different thing, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like not, the, not the same thing. Yeah, not right. forever. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I want to talk about like transitioning between that, like work and home and home and work, because I'm struggling with that right now. Uh, I have a full time job, and so now I'm like eight hours. I'm struggling typing things, and then I get home. I'm like, I want to type more things, but I'm tired. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's necessarily related to workflows, but like, is there a way to that you find? Because I know you work on projects on the side too, right? Oh, I try. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have not easy. successfully worked on projects on the side okay. for a while, but the, most of that has to do with the fact that I was like transitioning. And so a lot of my free emotional uh, energy and like all of my free time kind of went into that goal. So yeah. now that that's kind of starting to ramp down more and I'm like more um, comfortable and uh, just presenting female, it's um, it's a lot easier to, be creative. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, um, um, I don't know. Uh, I've just been having a hard time with it, just uh, getting home. And I, 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 I feel like I, I'm doing, I do a lot of things. I do too many things. I, like, I help, help uh, run the, the uh, I do this. And then I also, <laughs> also. Uh, See, Martha, we're part of his problem. <laughs> no. <laughs> wasn't the reaction I was expecting, but I'm on board. <laughs> Evil Games Club, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I do this. I do I do help with community events. Uh, I work on a bunch of different uh, game projects and things. But I also like want to do my own projects for myself, and those are the ones I'm having a hard time like working on. I guess it's difficult to like come up with a workflow for your own self because like it's not as important. I feel like even though it it should be as important to. Uh, so a lot of it um, that I found is a mindset of yeah. like hey, this stuff is important. And then organizing your whole life around like having that in your life and that that is um, a sacred structure that you basically um, are protecting that that time. Like when I talk about protecting my free time that I have now, like I I really do mean that, like putting that at the center and then saying, okay, everything else has to fit around this because this is important. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense. Like at a basic place, that's what I try and do. Um, but for me, I actually work really good in the morning. So I tend to want to get up and then work on my project for like two hours and then go about my day and do work and do all of the things because then at the end of the day, I'm not um, trying to summon up the energy to actually be creative. Yeah. Do you have like a regular routine? Uh, I mean, I do when I, when I am being good about it, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess my ideal routine would be like, get up in the morning, um, practice yoga, uh, like meditate for five to 10 minutes, 
uh, do a journaling session and that would be like an hour on its own altogether. Yeah. Um, and then um, do like two hours of coding and then like go to work, which doesn't like leave a lot of time for a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. But um, I tend to want to go to bed early because of that and then just get up early and do my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I don't do that. I stay up really late <laughs> and then wake up really early and then realize I stayed up too late and then go back to sleep and then wake up. <laughs> And then, yeah. <laughs> well, then you I don't get anything. You've done. been trying to do that a similar morning plan because you're a morning person. I am a morning person, and you've talked about like setting aside that time. But you haven't been able to make that work. No, yet. I, I think, I, I think it is it's largely I, I have a lot of commitments, and so, um, and oftentimes they are later in the day, and so I can't like just come home after work. I have to go do stuff before before I can come home, and then when I come home, it's like maybe nine o'clock or something, and then like I got to ease my way back into doing work. And that takes a bit of time. And then, like, by that time, it's, like, maybe 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock, and it's late, and I'm tired, and I want to go to bed, so I don't get anything done. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think that's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure that stuff out. And it sounds like you kind of have a plan for that, uh, Aubrey, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a hard time with it, I guess. You're really just looking for answers, but this is the wrong table, because, like, like, you as a morning people are trying to make that thing work. Yes. Martha and I are not morning people. And we have our own set of problems. Yeah. Which I read this article recently about uh, social jet lag, which is, oh. uh, you know, the, the world is built around a nine to five or eight to four, mm-hmm. depending on your time zone, yeah. kind of ideal, right? And um, for those of us uh, like Martha and I who wake up late and stay up late and are productive at night, um, it's, it's like having jet lag all of the time because society has shifted from you. And reading that is like, that's exactly what it feels like. And so I, I am very productive at two in the morning. And it, it wasn't until I stopped trying to fight that that I could actually start using that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, but it is a problem because, you know, I do have to get up early. And when, I'm not, when, I'm, when I have a job and I'm not f- doing freelance work, I, I have to, they want me there by 10. And that's still a hard ask for me. Mm. So um, it's, it's like when you talk about like having, trying to find that time, it's like that there's some people that can work for and then some people it just can't. And it's, it's amazing how many different ways there are to do it wrong. You know, and we've all found them, I guess. Um, so I don't know, Stephen. There really isn't a good. It is your. It's your yeah. own answer. Just, just share my find. struggle with me, people. Yeah. That's all I <laughs> yeah, it actually sounds like you are out of phase with yeah. the rest of the world, mm-hmm. and then it creates a whole new set of problems. That you it have is. To work it's very with. difficult. Yeah, and you know, working with other people makes it difficult too. Because when yeah. we do widget satchel, like I want to do sessions in the evening, which fe- makes sense to me because it's like okay. Like uh, you and Lane, uh, you know, you have your, your nine to five jobs and then it's like, well, then there's time at night. And but that's not you guys don't treat that as productive time. No, <laughs> even though you want to, yeah. it doesn't line up the way it works for you. Whereas, you know, when I am working like a, a during the day, you know, I am productive, right? I, <laughs> I, I fight through it to be productive, uh-huh. but I'm not really, truly productive until the evening. And so it's such a perfect time for me to get anything done, but it's not good for anybody else. And so I can't work with anybody else on stuff like that. It's very weird. Well, do you have to be working with them at the same time? No, not necessarily. I mean, there's, yeah, there's ways around and ways to structure. Um, and that's like, like team cohesion, like is more than just agreeing on, 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 on like, like, oh, we capitalize this in our code. Yeah. It's like, there's so much more to it that's, that's yeah. physiological as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and also, you know, the ability to overcome those kinds of incompatibilities for the sake of the other compatibilities you do have with, with other people. I think we've done okay with Widget Satchel, but like yeah. I definitely feel it when I try to propose set work times, we try to make it and it, 
it kind of I'm like why isn't this going to work and it's because it's hard to also empathize with other people's experience right. and and why it doesn't because right. it, it just you can't imagine yeah. being that way yeah like when you talk about like setting aside two hours in the morning I can't imagine being that way it's incredible but I, enough people I know do it do that that, it, that I believe it's real but I'm s- yeah. still skeptical <laughs> that sounds appealing to me to do that yeah. schedule some time in the morning to work on stuff mm-hmm. instead of later in the day yeah. Martha where do you find your time um. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I have to have other people around to force me to do stuff. Otherwise, I just watch Star Trek. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's productive. I, I understand that. <laughs> Are you a Star Trek fan too? or just No, but I watch a lot of shows with my wife, and yeah. that's just one of the ways that we spend time together. Yeah. And so, like, when you have a partner, you tend to want to spend time with them, and that is another barrier to, like, getting your projects done. Yeah. Unless you rope your partner into doing projects with you. <laughs> that's the clever way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, I know that, like, Dale and I, she's more of a morning person, but she's not an extreme morning person. So when I'm working at 2 a.m., I'm not taking time away from being with her, which is great, but it does actually mean we do still spend less time together because we're a little bit out of sync. So we don't have that, we don't not exactly fighting over that time, but I have to remind myself that we lose so much of it. And it's like, sometimes it's, it's a bummer. Like, oh, I haven't really hung out with her in like four days and we live together. Like, that's, it sometimes yeah. drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife is not a morning person. <laughs> so I drag her kicking and screaming sometimes and sometimes I just give up and I do it her way. And yeah. some, so I think we need to find a balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a difficult thing to figure out. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like you, sh- you share not just like your life, but literally you share your time yeah. in a way. And so it's, you, it's a choice you make mm-hmm. to give, give it up for that. And that's really hard choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to talk about like work blockers, like things that are preventing you from being productive, like, uh, big bugs in the code or something like that you have to figure out and spend a bunch of time or, or, or waiting on other people. Uh, to get something done so you can work on that thing. Sure. Or something like that. Do you have advice for that or at all? Yeah. I mean, um, like for blockers, I usually try and figure out um, what can I be doing instead or like what actually is the problem. Uh-huh. And once I identify the problem, I can usually figure out a way to either work around it or to um, – say that the most productive thing I can do right now is help solve that problem yeah. or like move on to something else. Yeah. Like those are usually my strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that like it's helpful for me if I'm really stuck on something, I'll just move on to something else for a bit and then uh, get my mind focused on something different so I'm not in my head all the time. And then I can come back to it and then I might come up with a solution mm-hmm. at that point. I find that to be helpful. It's interesting though that you mention um, bugs as a blocker because that is like another... Um, priority for monster games mm. is that bugs come first and so we solve it all of that first if there's a bug we stop whatever it is that we're doing and we mm. fix that and then we go back to the rest of what we're doing so that we have a bug free code base mm-hmm. huh that's really interesting I mean nothing is like 100% bug free <laughs> yeah but like the approaching it that way means that we don't have this giant mountain of bugs later in the process right. and so we don't really have like a bug fixing time that we do uh, normally, we just consistently try and do that um, as we're making things. Mm-hmm. Do you have like a dedicated QA team, or do you all sort of do that uh, together? Uh, um, or is this questions I shouldn't be ask- asking? No, I, that, that's <laughs> fine. Um, 
So QA is interesting, and that when we worked with Nintendo, they had um, they had Mario Club, which oh. apparently was really great. Mm. Um, but now that they don't have Mario Club, they find themselves um, constantly trying to show people like what uh, really good QA testing is, mm-hmm. and um, we tend to fight that battle a lot. Um, one of the things that we do is like later in the product when the artists are basically hands off, like they've done all of their work and they could do more, but the programmers have to finish getting all of the things in and we have to ship a product. Um, once they're hands off, they go, they switch over to testing. And so they basically just play through the game constantly. And so we have a little bit more control over what that testing environment looks like. Oh, that's really cool. That's a good way too. to, it sounds like, keep everybody steadily employed so there isn't like people just sitting there being like eh. <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. yeah like the, the like your the, that that strategy of the way to deal with bugs it might not be the best for every team but it sounds like it has distinct advantages for management um, you don't have to keep track of as many bugs if they exactly. don't pile up right just that alone is and also the cognitive load of like as you work on a new feature and you're like oh but that bug is a f- one we'll fix later or whatever it makes certain things faster but then i could see other teams being hindered by that sort of that more like dealing with every speed bump and not being able to iterate faster, but then that's maybe that's just the way a different team works. Then they have to count. They have to deal with the drawbacks that you yeah. guys don't have to deal with. So the process of like making um, things, we tend to create bugs and like ignore those. Yeah. Mm. Um, and and we even we do that at Monster Games. Um, but once we are checking our code in. That's supposed to be the point where, like, we believe that all of the bugs are out and that we've we've like chased all of those. Down. Okay, okay. But so everyone um, gets to kind of work a little bit their own way until they rejoin the the stream. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's that good. Makes sense. Seems like an alright. Yeah, I, I think I would have a hard time with that. I'm oftentimes like, oh, I'll just fix that later. Uh, <laughs> I'm and, excited about that. That sounds yeah because I can get distracted by those things and they eat it. They itch at me. Yeah. So knowing that that's a good process somewhere sounds nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I pushed against it quite a bit. To start. <laughs> um, but to be honest, um, it has been really great. Mm-hmm. And like knowing that that is the priority doesn't like makes you not feel bad when you have to stop your process to go fix a thing because that's that's what we all do. That's yeah. mm-hmm. uh, part of what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like... Um, like a philosophy that failure is okay because we're all, you know, it's going to happen. It's like, you can't avoid it. So mm-hmm. might as well deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it comes from this idea that, um, that you could just put your code out, um, there and it will be kind of buggy. Um, and QA might find like maybe 30% of the bugs, um, but there's like still this remaining 10% that are hard to find. Mm-hmm. But the person who is actually best suited to like finding those bugs are the people who actually wrote the code in the first place. Mm, yeah. And so if you can like identify where those things are and put those on automatic processes that like tell you, hey, there's a problem here. You should crash right now so that we know. Um, that makes it so that you can get roughly like 80 to 90% of the bugs. And then the only remaining bugs to find at that point are the 10% that um, usually are hard to find in the first place. Right, right. Mm, yeah. And then that, the QA process you have then tends to hopefully catch all those. Right, yeah. and those are the things that start to come out. You start to get the more um, advanced things that are like, oh my gosh, I never even thought that the system could work that way versus right. the, oh, you just forgot a 
you forgot a, you messed up a spelling mistake or you uh, forgot this feature didn't work that way or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that also gets you to like understand your code a lot better too. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, because like you're, if you're fixing these bugs, then you like understand why this is happening, and then you can prevent it in the future or use that knowledge in the future when you're working on that particular feature. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've gotten in the habit of like when I catch a bug, I'll try to write it down or like take a note of it and then get back to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at least I have a tracker of the bugs. Um, but you know, uh, it might just be beneficial to just get get it over with and mm-hmm. as soon as you can. What I like about the sort of dealing with it in the moment, which mm-hmm. is, and I think it's because I distract myself quickly, so I don't think yeah. it's a positive, I think it's just a consequence of my neuroses. Yeah. But, but um, what, what helps me with that, what's helpful doing it that way, is that, yeah, you understand your code better and then catch yourself going, oh, I now have no a better way to do this whole bit. Yeah. And that's what I was sort of talking about, like the refactoring, the sort of build as you go kind of thing. The, the, the more I hammer away at the little imperfections in the thing I've built, the, the better suited I am for the one day that's coming that I'm going to have to rebuild it. Well, I think that um, like another thing that happens from like uh, doing the bugs immediately is that um, nobody's expecting it to be broken. Yeah, like uh-huh. it's surprising when it does break, yeah. and somebody it, like we always are supposed to alert somebody. This broke. This is what was going on before we like move on. And once we like pass that on to the right person, then we can like move on with our day. But like that's that tends to be the priority. Whereas uh-huh. if you have a bunch of bugs in there, it's like, oh yeah, you know that that is a, that's broken right now. And everybody's <laughs> like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to look at that critically. Yeah, but you have all of these people yeah. on your team that could be looking at it critically and when you do bugs right away then that happens naturally right right like you were saying earlier about knowing what knowing what you're trying to do like dealing with that way certainly helps that at at, at smaller stages as well not just at a big project Mm -hmm. scope right yeah that that brings up a question uh i wanted to know more about like brainstorming and figuring out exactly it is that what you want to do Uh, i know i've spent a lot of time not just by myself, but in like meetings and stuff, trying to figure out what it is that we want from this thing. And sometimes it feels like we're just spinning our wheels and we haven't reached a conclusion on that. Um, I'm curious what everyone's thoughts are on that. So I have a couple of different things here. Um, okay. Like I do brainstorming at home um, and that's like its own separate thing. Yeah. Um, but then at work, they use like a, a writer's room mentality. So we have like a lead writer who gets up and like leads the discussion and decides what we're going to talk about. Um, and then everybody else in the room is just there to like voice their opinion and talk about how they feel and like be open to um, the ideas of other people. Um, and that tends to work really well when we have diverse opinions at the table, but it doesn't always work well when we don't. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like to do um, for my stuff at home is I always if I'm collaborating with somebody, um, I want to have like a separate uh, brainstorming session mm-hmm. and then come together and talk about those ideas so that you kind of have time to have that mm-hmm. uh, that inspiration on your own and then you have the influences together rather than just having the influences together and yeah. then you can't really get back to that place of like the ideas you would have come up with on your own. Right, the first thing that, that everyone gets excited about becomes the idea exactly rather than everybody being able to really bring what they want to you know what 
the, their abilities to the table. Yeah, and and so my experience with like brainstorming is that you don't necessarily get to the great ideas right away. Like you have to go through a bunch of ideas and write a whole bunch of things. So that's like a strategy to doing it is just writing a whole bunch of things, even if you don't necessarily think that they're great. Um, you might find a good idea in there. Uh-huh. Um, another strategy that um, I use is sometimes I will brainstorm into categories. Okay. And so just thinking about those separate categories, um, my uh, game design professor, uh, Jesse Shell, talks about um, the elemental tetrad, uh, splitting it into like um, mechanics, aesthetics, story, and technology. And then brainstorming into like those categories and not thinking about the other things. And the great thing about that is that you can start mixing and matching from one category to the other. I mean, monkeys might not be the most exciting thing, but when you do monkeys in a VR uh, space, it might be more exciting. Mm. And if you do monkeys in a VR space that are in space, like that is a a whole different idea that you wouldn't have got on its own. Mm. Uh, That reminds me of watching the, um, did you ever watch the Double Fine like documentary series? I haven't. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> um, but one thing that Tim Schafer does, and they showed in the video, is is that he will lock himself in his office for an hour every morning and just write, like brainstorm in a big notebook. And he's got like a whole shelf full of these huge notebooks. Oh. That he's just wrote. He's just like, I just write whatever comes to my head, even if it's like buy groceries tomorrow or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> just to like get it all out and. Uh-huh. Before he goes to meetings where he then like talks with and brainstorms with other people. But so, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. I, I um, have sometimes uh, what we did is we like grabbed, we were trying to make a game where uh, you make you want kids and parents to play together um, like cooperatively, but not where like the parent is taking over and having the kid just do things Uh so uh, we had we got um, a bunch of parents and kids, and then we like designed uh, games with the parents to come up with ideas. And we figured we can we we saw like uh, commonalities between all of those things. We saw like what they were interested in in making a game because they were the ones making games. So uh, that helped us with our brainstorming sessions because like then we knew like what to focus on. Yeah, I mean, it can be really great to like understand your target audience and yeah. like that can help uh, get to the right ideas. Um, it can also be great to just immerse yourself in the thing that you're doing and right. like, do a bunch of research or go like when I was working on a um, application to teach people to play D&D, uh-huh. um, we just went to the Renaissance Festival to be like, what are people who really love this kind of stuff doing? Like people who role play what are what are they like and what does it feel like and what's uh-huh. going on and uh-huh. um part of the reason was that i was the only person on the team who like played a bunch of uh dungeons and dragons and everybody else um was still kind of coming on board and trying to figure out um what that space was like yeah i th- i think that i think that would be helpful that uh, you definitely we talked about that in our, our research episode too like that that having that research will help you and help inform your game design and your decisions in the future yeah, context I think is really important. It's, yeah. it's that's actually the problem I have with traditional sort of post-its on the wall brainstorming is everything feels so like out of context. Yeah. I think it's helpful to have the the sort of like mission statement, project goals, that kind of stuff to sort of ha- take that out as a separate process. I don't think this is a common I, I get a lot of pushback from people who are into brainstorming about mm-hmm. this, but I I always want a little bit more webbing before I start tossing ideas out 
so that I can evaluate those ideas against it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's how most people do it. But I, but I, 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 I don't know. I've, I've tried to push the advantage of that because uh, it's so easy to come up with a million great ideas and then want to do all of them yeah. and find a way to, to talk yourself into wanting to do the thing that sounds the coolest even though it's not aligned to the project goals. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting because um, like having those ideas, it could be a great idea, but if it doesn't resonate with the rest of your team, yeah. like it's not going to work well together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think like having having like an idea ahead of time where you can like weed out some of the ideas that may be good, but you've brought it up plenty of times, Mark, that like they may be good they may be good ideas, but they're not good for the project, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I think that like it's important to have a base base concept there where you can like mm-hmm. weed out the ones that will just not work for your for your game. And then what I think but on the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think about game jams where you have a group of people like, what are we going to do? Yeah, that's the time for spaghetti on the wall. Yeah, right? uh, at least the the purest form of that. It's mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter what it is. Like you, and so so that's when it's time to go nuts. I think. Yeah. So so I guess identifying when is it that time and when is it not? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Like coming up with the base idea makes sense to just throw whatever you want on the table. Yeah. But a lot of times you start with a product brief, especially if you're working com- the commercial space. It's true. Like this is for this audience. It can be anything, but it has to be for this audience. Uh-huh. Or this is, we have the budget for this scale of a game. It can be anything, but it needs to, you know what I mean? And maybe you have one or more constraints. Um, and so uh, knowing those in advance and sort of contextualizing those immediately, uh-huh. I think it's pretty important. Just in terms of efficiency, maybe. I'm not, maybe it's not the best thing for ideation, but uh, just for uh, a, a process, I guess. No, I think, uh, I think the design constraints are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that um, kind of helps you guide your creativity in the yeah. right direction because it, you can do all kinds of different things, but um, the constraints start to show you how those ideas come together yeah. and they show you um, which ideas are good for the product. Um, one of the processes that I, I like to do to really identify all those constraints because sometimes you have a lot of invisible constraints that you don't know are there. The the person who came up with this at my uh, grad school calls it the decision map. Mm -hmm. And so basically you, uh, any question that anybody has on the, on the project, you just write it down on this like giant sheet of paper or on a whiteboard and um, everybody puts their questions up there basically. And then you prioritize all of them and um, once you have them all prioritized, you write them out in order, and then you basically just start to think about the problems that you have in order, and that yeah. tends to just start to cascade into um, yeah. solving all the rest of the problems, and huh. most of the lower uh, priority ones like aren't as important to get solved. Right, you start defining the space and shrinking it as you go. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, that's clever. Um. Another thing I wanted to ask about is like how to make sure you're on track to finish. Sounds like Rich has done this plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he talks about sometimes um, that you can feel the earth move. Oh. And that um, you can tell when it's a different time. You don't necessarily know when that time is going to be, but you can Uh tell when the time has changed because it goes Uh from being like, oh, we have all the time in the world to being like, do you know what time it is? Like, you got to get this out the door. Like, (laughs) decision like talking about it is done. You need to make a decision and go. Oh, okay. So um, there, there is like a shift in culture there that helps keep us on track. But mm-hmm. mostly we try and prioritize all of our game features to be like, 
hey, this is the most important, and we work around a core set of features yeah. that, like, this is what we need to make the game. And once we finish that core set of features, we kind of spiral out from there. But um, we are always focusing on the most important thing and reevaluating what those priorities are. And because of that, it means that we will have a good product at the end, okay. even if it's not full of all the features that we originally thought would be in it. Okay. That's that. Yeah. So like the scope changes as, as the project goes Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Okay. We cut things mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's like not personal. Yeah. You just, you have to do it if you want to get your product out on time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's good. That's good. I think that's an important thing for me to hear. <laughs> and also our listeners. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. And like, you know, there's a planning and structure and organization it still leaves room for ambition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's important just to make sure that like you, you keep those things in check. You try to, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, when you cut features, that's a sign that you had ambition and that's good because it meant that you had, you got to try a lot of things and you got to, and then you end up with the product it needs to be. Right. Yeah. I like this idea of like not necessarily killing your ideas right away. Right. That you, that you kind of, um, that you see if an idea has legs or not before you decide to like throw it out. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes yeah. we will say, oh, we could do this like four or five different ways. Let's list out the different ways that we could do it and let's spend some time on each one to see like what that space feels like yeah. before we decide which path we're gonna go down. Yeah, that's that's smart. I talked about that in my in my uh game design workshop thing where like you can make an arbitrary decision because there's a bunch of different decisions you can make. If you make an arbitrary one and go down that path then you'll deter- you'll be able to determine if that makes sense and be able to adjust um, or change up completely. If mm-hmm. necessary. It's, the important thing is to make sure you don't spend too much time doing that, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certain things that you can only learn by doing it mm-hmm. and certain things that teach you nothing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so knowing the difference is important. Yep, yep, yeah. sure, sure. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm remembering the conversation we had when we ate at the Cheesecake Factory at GPC <laughs> about, uh, like, uh, structuring that work and building those features that you talk about, like... Uh, um, uh, like how many people are assigned to those? What's the what's the logistical process of doing those experiments? Oh, you're talking about like when when you're like prototyping something? Yeah, yeah. Um, so usually prototyping um, happens. The my my office tends to call them experiments, mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, and they like a typical like scientific experiment they are trying to find out a specific thing. Yeah. And so we need to know what we're testing going into it to see if it's like going to get that out of it on the character creator for, um, the, uh, NASCAR heat evolution. We did an initial experiment to make sure that blend shapes were going to work correctly for us Mm -hmm. and that we were going to be able to get the kind of character fidelity that we wanted out of it. Once we figured that out, we basically took all of that stuff and scrapped it. Uh-huh. Um, the idea was mostly to just prove that it could be done and where our um, constraints were before we fully designed the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, on another one that we did on a feature that hasn't been released yet, um, we uh, basically tried out to see if the things that we already had we could do the new feature with. And... Um, when it turned out that we could, it meant that we could green light that feature and we could just kind of move forward because we didn't need support from anybody else. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it kind of it kind of depends on what question you're trying to answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
That's good. That it, taking the, that that prototyping process and and more tightly integrating it into the actual production process sounds like a really efficient workflow. Yeah, and sometimes we will look at how other people have done their games, and my boss says that that is um, experiments that we didn't have to do ourselves. <laughs> that people just nicely did for us. That's nice, yeah. yeah. Um, so we use those to try and learn what we can anyway. But sometimes it's like just a programmer, and sometimes it's just an artist, yeah. and sometimes um, it's a collaboration of like four of us doing a piece until... Um, we believe that this is the right path. Right, And right. like right now, we're still trying to figure out the right look for the new career mode mm-hmm. in NASCAR Heat 3. And um, we have uh, a couple artists, a designer, um, all working on this. And they bring me and a front-end coder in when they need like uh, outside opinions. Right, right, right. Uh, I think I had one more question I wanted to ask. And this is for everybody at the table. Uh, <laughs> what kind of things keep you from getting your work done? Uh, Mark, you were saying that sometimes you get distracted from bugs and things. And I guess at the end of the day, that's all work you kind of have to do anyways. Well, I have to police myself for when I move to another thing. Sure. Uh, like it's, oh, this came up. Okay, let's do that for a while. But then I have to check, okay, am I going to lose momentum on the thing I'm working on? Yeah. And um, I feel pretty comfortable flitting around a lot. And I can keep a lot of my progress in my head, or I take notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to stop myself before I go like three changes deep yeah. from the thing I started working on that day, yep. um, just to make check, make understand. Or when I get when I find my way through this path of tasks, to then remember where I was when I started, so I can get back to that, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 why I'm doing those things right now. Because um, sometimes it can be I'm going through my code, and I'm like, oh, this was the thing I was going to get around to in terms of building it out. Um, I'm here now and I know what to do and I just had this idea. Let's start working on that. That's different from I'm working on something now and I face a problem that's going to take me somewhere else. I need to solve. Like it's, There's a difference between another task and a dependency task. Sure. I yeah. think. And so I try to make sure that I'm always working on if I ever move around or the, the further I go from my main task, mm-hmm. the more restrict I am that it's a dependency for what I was originally starting to work on. Gotcha. Um, that's, I don't know how good I am at that, but I do <laughs> keep that in mind. Okay. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find myself uh, being easily distracted in that, like, if something is particularly difficult, I will, like, go on Facebook or something for a moment <laughs> to distract myself. Just a moment. Yeah, and then it, a moment leads to two minutes. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, uh, it adds up over time. But, like, I've been trying to focus myself better and just go, like, you know, this is going to be a problem. Just get it done now. Yeah, instead of, like, running away from my issues. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's something that, like, keeps me from getting my work done personally. Not knowing how to do something, um, like I'm running into some problems with Unity recently, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, eh. and so I just sat there sadly. <laughs> Dylan was like, "What? Are you okay?" I was like, "I can't figure this out." <laughs> um, but uh, also, um, just general laziness. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I like you didn't even you didn't dress it up. You're like, it's just that. <laughs> it's <I'm-> good. <laughs> Because we all have that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the blockers that I uh, find myself uh, having, sometimes it's an asset mm. problem. Like it's something that I don't have from somebody that I need, yeah. like uh, like an art asset or a design or front-end screens aren't done, so I can't actually test the thing that I'm doing. Um, but I, I try and look for ways that I can like make that parallel. Like how can I continue to do what I need to do, ignoring what they have, <laughs> yeah. and and like 
code in a way that I'm I'm still asking those same questions that I'm going to need to eventually ask anyway. Yeah. And then later I can kind of fill in the real answers mm-hmm. for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it's also I'm I'm doing a really hard thing and I don't know. Like I I think that I know uh, the design uh-huh. and then I get to a place where I'm like going back and forth and not really sure and I have to like step away from the keyboard and like make sure that this is still the right path. That yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I found taking a little bit of a break from sitting at my screen all day is is helpful. Yes, I, I need. I think I need to do more of that. Well, it kind of harnesses the unconscious mind, and yeah. like your unconscious mind is great at solving problems. You just have to tell it what kinds of problems um, are waiting to be solved, and mm-hmm. then you have to give it space to solve those yeah. problems. So yeah. that's why people will go out and like they'll go for a run, or they'll like go um, shopping, or uh, take a shower and come back, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden epiphany. epiphany. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tend to have an addictive personality, so I will just power through anything. And so I tend not to give myself those moments. Um, so what? A, but I will force myself when I when it, it, I go out to eat, and like because I have to do that to get to the next day. <laughs> so those are the times when I and I'll take like three hours to like, and it, it'll it it'll recharge me from all that time I just powered through. Um, but I'm not very good at taking those like five minute breaks to yeah. to do it. I will I will take a break by doing something different. Yeah, and I don't think that's ultimately efficient. It's kind of why I like making tea. Yeah, because you got to get up, you got to walk to the teapot, <laughs> you got to sit there and wait for the tea to wake, uh-huh. or the, you know, boil it right. You got to make sure it's the right temperature. That's probably I don't like tea. I just don't have that patience. Have <laughs> <laughs> something to do with it. <laughs> uh, I think that's all I have. Is there anything that you wished that we asked you about? Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I want to impart. Um, <laughs> You've imparted so much knowledge already. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if there's anything still on my list that I haven't. Oh, uh, well, the, the thing that I wanted to talk about was like um, when I am the boss, mm-hmm. like when I don't have anybody else making those decisions, sometimes you don't have um, you don't have people telling you like, hey, it has to be this way or like you don't have a time constraint. Yeah. And sometimes you have to create those things so that yeah. you um, you still have the, the checks and balances in place. Yeah. And that can be like a real struggle for mm-hmm. me sometimes. Like, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I always want to make the most uh, deluxe feature. Yeah. But that's not always the right option. Sometimes you just need a quick and dirty thing that, that gets the job done. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, part of it is like I treat uh, personal projects as like a method to train myself in, in a new way or learn something new. And so like I'll try to like learn how to do this thing. Uh, and do it the right way, but sometimes you also just have to do it, and you, it's not necessarily going to be correct when you get it done. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I agree with that. Like it's, it's difficult. You sometimes you just have to be your own boss and tell yourself to just get it done. Yeah, or make this decision, or commit to like a time that you're like, well, I'm gonna play test this time, mm-hmm. and so that's when you like schedule all your work to, or like, hey, I'm going to release at this time, yeah. and. That's what you prioritize all of your stuff around. Yeah. yeah. So. And having people, uh, uh, this works great in small teams, but uh, if you are working by yourself, like we've talked about on the show before, like having the monthly play tests here at Glitch is a big production uh, productivity booster for a lot of us mm-hmm. because it's not a deadline you can ignore. Yeah. And it's so easy to tell yourself, this is the arbitrary deadline. I know it's arbitrary, but I'm going to really stick to it. And then a day before you're like, well, it was arbitrary. Uh, maybe I'll move it. And like, it's so easy just to give yourself slack. But like when you have people depending on you, 
uh, either because they're working with you because they're expecting uh, assets for their work mm-hmm. um, or because you signed up for a slot and people are going to play your thing. You have to give them something. And yeah. so um, it's enormously helpful. And it, it reminds us, it reminds me how we're all animals. Like we need, <laughs> we can't, you can talk yourself out of anything. You need like def- need outside influences to force you to do things. Mm. Otherwise you can, yeah, anytime it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think about like doing widget satchel and like I've become the sort of taskmaster about like setting uh, those arbitrary things. Yeah. And I know that they're silly, but like, and I know, and you guys fight me, but like, but we need that. But so we need much. it. We need yeah. it. And so like, that's why, and uh, you know, we're working on on Metro Nexus by myself. It's like, Man, I I need to find more of those things to force me to make progress because mm-hmm. I am I will just outsmart myself every time. Like, <laughs> Man, too smart for your own self. I, or too dumb, <laughs> more likely. <laughs> too dumb to listen to myself, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Aubrey, um, there may be one or two listeners who don't already know about your work and things. Where can they find you on the internet? Um, I am on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, at Aubrey Jane Scott. Um, I. I think I'm have a website, AubreyJaneScott.com, <laughs> but I don't think it goes anywhere right now. Okay, that's probably going to uh, resolve soon. Just um, if if there's nothing up there, it's probably the right place. You, I just haven't done anything yet. Yeah, we'll okay. see. Now this episode will be out in a couple weeks. Now you have a motivation, a deadline. <laughs> Maybe. Get something up on that site. <laughs> well, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or are nice like us. You really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Aubrey, will you leave a review and tell all your friends too? Mm, probably. <laughs> <laughs> good enough. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> um, we also would like to hear uh, your feedback on our feedback form. Uh, where can you find that, y'all? Nicegames.club slash feedback. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing, send us your topics, and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice hosts, and our nice guests, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.